Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can be still, even in the midst of a very chaotic world, because we know that you are God, that you are in control, and that we can trust you. Thank you, Lord, for the years that you have proven yourself trustworthy in all of our lives and the life of your church. We just marvel at your grace and your goodness to us, the mercies of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The, the cross of Calvary, the shedding of his blood, so that we could be clean, washed completely from our every sin. Lord, we rejoice this morning in the renewal of the Holy Spirit, the divine comforter who is with us and comforts us in all of our afflictions. And Lord, I pray today for those who are afflicted in one way or another, members of the body of Christ, that God, you might use other believers, you might use your word and the comfort of the Spirit to to give them rest, to give them peace, to reassure them of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord, an eternal hope that will never disappoint us. Pray for your church throughout the world, going through persecution, that you would undergird them with the strength of Christ. I pray for the missionaries who take the gospel to people in difficult circumstances, through many trials and tribulations and sacrifices that you would encourage them, Lord, and strengthen their hands as well. I pray, Father, that you would continue by your word to guide and to direct us in our daily life. I thank you, Father, for the offering that we have received today. And Lord, I pray for our country in such great need that many would come to know Christ, especially people, Lord, I pray for those in high places that have great influence that you might use them to, to be a, an ambassador for Jesus Christ and the bearer of good news in the gospel. So help us now as we go to your word again, that you might just use it, Lord, to stir us up and change our, change our lives, even through the example of others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So come to the end of the book of Romans. But this is not the last message. And chapter 16 is, is more than just a list of names. It includes greetings, admonitions, commendations, thanksgiving, and prayer. We've all heard the, uh, the term unsung heroes. It's not always accurate because there may not be any true heroism involved with people who bear that label. So we take it to refer to people who are willing to do their job quietly behind the scene without getting a lot of recognition. The academic scientific world has unsung heroes. The sports world has them. The workplace has them. Every good home has, has at least one, and she's called mom. 
So many of you here know the name Clayton Kershaw. How many of you have ever heard, ever heard that name? All right, mostly men. Well, he's a, he's a future Hall of Fame pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So there's a lot of people who know that name, but nobody here knows the name Marianne Tombaugh, right? That's my guess. She was, she was Clayton's mother who died last Saturday, the day before Mother's Day. And Clayton's wife, Ellen, said of her, Marianne moved mountains to get him to baseball practice and games. She sat in the front row cheering him on, not so subtly, and kept score in a book to keep her nerves at bay. And Ellen Kershaw said, so today we dedicate this field to his sweet mom, who passed away and went to be with the Lord this morning. She experienced no greater joy than watching her son grow into the man, the philanthropist, the father, and the baseball player he is today. She will not have a bust in the Hall of Fame, but she is the unsung hero behind her son. More importantly, the church has its unsung heroes. Some indeed are moms, but there are many others as well. So in Romans 16, Paul brings them out of the, the back of the stage behind the curtain and into the center for a very brief moment in time. Some only get a few words. Phoebe gets two verses. But apart from mentioning the name of the unsung heroes here as he closes his letter, history would never have known that they even existed. But their contribution to the work of the Lord in Paul's day was enormous. And the fact that Paul took the time in the ink to mention so many by name tells you how much he appreciated them. Altogether, 29 people are listed in verses 1 through 16, either as individuals or heads of households. Ten of them are women who were very effective in ministry. You know, it's interesting. Paul, Paul mentions people in other epistles. But there are more people mentioned in Romans 16 than in all of his other letters combined. And he had never visited Rome. And maybe that's why he took the time to list them by name because had he been there and then he writes this letter and he greet this one, greet this one, somebody might feel slighted, right? You know, well, doesn't he recognize me? I met him and so forth and so on. Well, we really don't know, but yet we do know that he, he thought a lot of these people. So in an article in a leadership publication I read, it mentioned five traits of unsung heroes. Number one is humility. They don't want the, the center stage. They don't care about the limelight. Number two is empathy. What they do care is about is people, other people. Number three, commitment to a cause. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be willing to do the behind-the-scenes kind of a work without getting the credit. Number four, courage to do the right thing. We all need that, right? 
especially in the day in which we live. We need, we need to be courageous as Christians, to speak up when we must speak up. And then number five, consistent excellence and teamwork. These people aren't the ones who get the blue ribbons or the gold medals and so forth, but they get the job done consistently. And I think you could see some of those traits in some of the people Paul mentions here, however, briefly. E.F. Hutton, remember the name? Told you this once before. It was a brokerage firm that ran a series of successful commercials decades ago, and actually some of them were very funny. They would all end with the words, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. This is Paul's E.F. Hutton talk. He tells us who were the shining lights for God's glory in the Church of Rome, even though they never desired any focus to be put on them. So I think we should listen to what he has to say about some of them who are especially noteworthy. And in addition, we'll get into a few other, I think, notable statements in Romans 16 as we finish this book. So you're probably wondering, where do we go from here? I don't know. I really don't. I'm still praying. I hope you are too. William Newell, in his commentary on Romans, writes that the 16th chapter is neglected by many to their own loss. It is by far the most extensive, intimate, and particular of all the words of loving greetings in Paul's marvelous letters. No one can afford to miss this wonderful outpouring of the heart of our apostle toward the saints whom he so loved, which means all the real church of God. So I initially thought I would cover this fairly quickly, right? You come to the end of a book and it's predominantly names and well, that shouldn't take too long. What, what could you possibly say? I don't know how long it'll take. It, it may take, I know one thing, it's going to take more than one message because I only got two, two verses today. But that's me, right? Slow. So that's why I titled this message, Closing Remarks to the Church of Rome, Part 1. That's the safest thing I could say. Now, some people here are given just a simple recognition, and we won't have to spend very much time on it, because you can't. We don't know anything really about them. But Paul does tell us a little bit more about some of them. And the first is Phoebe. Phoebe gives her two verses, two verses that are a little window into what kind of a Christian woman she was. So we read in verse one, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the Lord or servant of the church in Sencrie. That's the correct, correct pronunciation of that word. Sencrie, or Sencrie, some pronounce it, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Phoebe's name uh, comes from the, the word phos, pho, which means light, and her name actually means radiant or bright. It was the feminine form of a title given to the pagan god Apollo, meaning the bright one. Which means that 
she was a pagan at one time. We don't know how or when Phoebe got saved, but what we do know is that these two verses tell us that she became a, a radiant light for Jesus Christ. But when you think about it, God has, God has his light bearers all over this world. We also know that Satan tries to pass himself off as one, a light bearer. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 says, such are false apostles. There are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, don't be surprised, Paul is Satan, saying, for Satan himself transforms himself into a, an angel. The word angelos means messenger, a messenger of light. Now, transform there means to assume the appearance of. So Satan appears as, a, as an angel of light and his ministers as angels of light, apostles sent from God. But in reality, Paul says they're false apostles and they're deceitful workers. We know from scriptures, Jesus said Satan was a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. So that tells us that he is very skilled in the art of deception. This is the enemy that, that we are up against. Someone who is very skillful in the art of deception. So we need discernment. Here, here I, I put this little statement down as I was pondering this. Discernment means that the Christian can detect truth from error in teaching and sincerity from hypocrisy in living. That's how you spot a, a false teacher, by, by what he teaches and how he lives. And if you have discernment, you're going to be able to see the errors in their teaching, and you're going to be able to see the hypocrisy in their lifestyle. So I would just say to you this morning, beware of anyone who comes to you and puts on the air of super spirituality, that they're a very spiritual person. Be very leery of people like that. So we talk about Phoebe, and Paul begins with a, with a word of commendation. I commend to you, Phoebe. Commend is the word soon, as soon as ta'o, and it was used of setting one person with another or alongside another by way of introducing or presenting that person. Now, when, whenever Christians traveled, Back in this day, it was very hazardous. So if they would go from one church to another, they typically needed letters of approval, letters of commendation. And those letters served to validate their trustworthiness and to identify the genuine workers for Christ from the frauds that were out there. And there were plenty of frauds in Paul's day, just as there are today. Many frauds under the broad umbrella of the word evangelical. In, in 2 Corinthians 3, 1, Paul says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? He's saying, do, do, we, do I need to commend myself to you again? Or do we need, as some others, a, an, an epistle, a letter of commendation to you? Or letters of commendation from you? Paul is saying, 
really, I, I don't need to commend myself to you. He was being accused of, of being a, a false apostle. And Paul's saying, do I need to commend myself to you? I'm the one who led you to the Lord. That's why he, he makes the statement, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. He was the one who led them to Christ. They were the evidence of his apostleship, the proof of his apostleship. So today we call these letters referrals or recommendations. Second John 9 says, Whoever transgresses, sins, and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you, note this, and does not bring this doctrine, this true teaching concerning Christ, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. John says, do not extend hospitality to anyone who comes to you with corrupt doctrine. Now, that doesn't mean you can't witness to a JW or a Mormon at the door. You're not extending hospitality to them like back in that day. They were looking for lodging. They were looking for food, maybe even financial support, but they were false teachers. And in this instance, the, the false teaching was about Christ. It is also true that whoever receives a true minister of the gospel of Christ shares in the rewards of that ministry. And Paul really wanted the church at Rome to share in the rewards of the ministry of Phoebe. He was commending her to, to them. And he chose her to bring this epistle. Most scholars believe this to be true with the commendation. To, be the, to bring this epistle to Rome. So she was the, 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 the UPS of the letter. And while she certainly would not have traveled alone, because that would have been far too dangerous for any, any woman to do that, she was Paul's principal emissary. Now, think about this. There is no woman who wrote a book of Scripture but Phoebe was used of God to deliver the book of Romans to its destination. A journey of 700 miles. So my question then is this. What can God trust you with? Are you trustworthy? What can people who know you trust you with? It begins with them. It begins by doing the small things. Luke 16, 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Now I have to stop here for a moment. What has God entrusted us with? All of us without exception. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news that every single person who doesn't know Christ needs. So what are you doing with the trust that God has put in you to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and share that good news with other people? This woman took a letter 
into her possession and safely delivered it 700 miles. So it begins with a word of commendation, then, it, then there's a word of acceptance concerning Phoebe. Verse 2, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. What he's saying here is I want you to, to just put your arms around her and to embrace her and do whatever you can to meet her needs as a fellow saint of God. And, and what you will do, what you should do, is something that is worthy of the saints. Worthy of the love that one Christian should have for another, another Christian. Now, the word saints, you know, back, back in my Catholic days, I always, you know, thought of saints as those statues that were up on the church, you know. Uh, in, in the church, St. Martin, St. Sophore, Joseph, and on and on. The list goes in Catholicism. But the word simply means sanctified ones, sanctified ones. And the word receive her, decomai is, is the word, and it means to, to eagerly receive her. Eagerly receive her. She's a saint among fellow saints. Ian Thomas said this, the word saint, sanctify, simply means to put something to its intended and proper use. Here were people who, by coming to grips with Jesus Christ, these are the saints at Rome, by having received the fullness of the indwelling life, and by believing the message of the gospel had now entered into a relationship in which their whole lives were put to their proper and intended use. So that's what it means, saint, to put something to its proper and intended use. So I ask myself the question, what does God want to do with my life? What does he really want to do with your life? What is the purpose, the intended purpose that he has for you as a child of God, as a saint, as one whom he has separated from the world to be used for him and for his glory? So he's telling the, the believers, the saints there in Rome, that to receive Phoebe in a worthy manner, this is, this is what is required of you as fellow believers. The fact that she is a saint. And they are saints means that they're all part of the same family. So he's asking them to extend to her biblical hospitality, to open up their hearts and their arms to her as a fellow believer in Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 10, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Receive her because she's a fellow sister. She was saved. But in Matthew chapter 10, it says this. These 12, those are your original apostles, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of Gentiles. Do not enter into a city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, or as you are going, preach. Means to herald the good news. Saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. 
Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money bags, nor any bag for your journey, food bag or anything, nor two tunics, nor two sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, this didn't always hold true. Later on, Jesus sends them out to 70 and tells them to take provisions with them. But the mission of the 12 was urgent at this point. And I think it would serve as a lesson in trusting God. And they were going to need that lesson throughout the short course of their ministry or the longer course of their ministry. Boy, that's a hard lesson to learn, right? Trusting God no matter what. When you have nothing, trusting God. The Lord was teaching them that they need to to expect God to meet their needs without taking undue concern for their own needs. And God would meet their needs through the hospitality of others in this case, as they brought the good news of Jesus Christ to them. He goes on in verse 11. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who, who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it, your shalom come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Don't bless it. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Don't let it discourage you. Move on. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Well, we have a responsibility to preach the gospel to people, and people have a responsibility to hear the gospel when we preach it to them. Right? I was sharing with somebody the other day in unusual circumstance. And him and I had to meet in a particular location at a particular time. I never intended to go there. And I don't know if he did or not. But after it was all said and done, I shared the gospel with him for about 20 minutes. I got down to the bottom and I said to you, Adam, I have a question for you. And he looked at me and he says, what? I said, what do you think the odds are that I, who never intended to go on this hike, would 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 go at the very last minute and that you would time your your journey for the same you know the the same time essentially that we would meet together in this exact spot at this time and that that you would ask me a simple question and I would ask you a whole lot of questions and share the gospel with you and he he, he it kind of caught him by surprise it took him back i says listen This is a divine appointment. This is a divine appointment. God set apart this time in your life and in my life so that I could be here talking to you. And I'm telling you, that really got got a hold of him. And you know, sometimes we hold back. We hold back, don't we? Out of fear or whatever else it is, busyness of life. But don't hold back because God might have you to be the ambassador Present the gospel to someone as a divine appointment in their lives. Jesus says the ones who received those apostles when he when he sent them out would be blessed. The ones who had rejected them would be cast off. Very clear, very stern. 
And what we see there is that opportunities do not always knock twice, right? It's, it's one of the great basic facts of life that time and time again, an opportunity comes to a man and never returns, does not come back. So I ask you this morning, what opportunity lies before you now? You know what? As you get older, the opportunities are not as frequent. They're not as great, it seems. Because you're sort of on the tail end of things. So I want to challenge the young people here. Think of the opportunities that lie before you. To serve the Lord Jesus Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Are you seizing those opportunities? What's the plan for the rest of your life? For those who know not Christ and hear the gospel, I don't know if there might be one here today. It's an opportunity for them to have the forgiveness of their sins by faith in Jesus Christ. They must not miss it. The opportunity may never come again. When I was sharing with that young man the other day, 22-year-old San Diego State student, I said, you know, you're young and healthy. I says, you know, I, I had a heart attack. It could have been the end of me. Could have been the end of my life right then and there. I said, you, you could leave here and you could be hit by a car and you could die just because you're 22 doesn't make you invincible. And you know what he said to me? I almost did. I was in a bad car accident. And that got his attention too. Well, we don't know, right? Matthew 10, look at verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and who, he who receives me receives him who sent me. Who's that? The Father. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. That really, really got me to thinking about how many people who are behind the scenes, the unsung heroes who will receive great rewards in heaven because they were supporting the people who were out in the limelight, who got all the attention. Maybe their reward will even be greater. The nursery workers share in the preaching ministry of this church because without the nursery, preaching would be much more difficult. The people who pray enter into the reward of the missionaries and the evangelists. That's a, that's a wonderful thought, right? Do you, think, do you think that, you know, there's going to be a special wing in heaven for the big-name Christians who've gotten all of these things on earth? Our God is not like that. We're the people who establish Hall of Fames and shrine people and things like that. 
But I'm thinking of the very ordinary people like this. Right here. Who entered into the rewards of the of 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 those who like the Apostle Paul, Phoebe. Without her help, would he have been able to what would he have been able to do? Would he have been been able to do as much as he did in Corinth and in Ephesus without her? Paul wanted the church to welcome her as a righteous woman sent to him by Rome with a letter with his name on it, the Apostle Paul. He says, assist her in whatever business she has need of. That's the word, the word for business there is the word pragma. And in English, we get the word pragmatic from that. And it refers to anything that needs to be done or carried out. Assist her in whatever she needs to do help her carry it out, supply her material needs for her, whatever else it requires. Ministry is not just spiritual, right? It's practical as well. That's why God established deacons in a church to serve in, in, in practical ways. They are to see what needs to be done and they're to get it accomplished. That's the ministry of a deacon in, in a church. Not by themselves, but with the help of others. So let's go back again to Phoebe's description. She was a sister in Christ. Adelphi is the Greek word, and it tells us, as I said before, that she had been born again. Now, we all have many sisters and brothers in the Lord, right? In this church. Look around. You've got, you've got sisters and brothers. Wherever you go and you meet other Christians, there are a sister or a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's because we are God's household. We are God's family. In Matthew chapter 12, if you're in Matthew 10, go to 12, verse 46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, this is Jesus, behold his mother, that's Mary or Miriam, and brothers stood outside speaking to him, seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Lord, or look, your, your, your mother and your brother are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Look how he answered them. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. In Matthew 12, 50, he says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew 23, 8, Jesus says, do not be called rabbi, because there were teachers in that day who loved to be called rabbi, teacher, and greeted as such. And he says, for one is your teacher, Christ, and you are all, what? Brethren. Brethren. So sadly, rather than unity in the family of God, there is often sibling rivalry. There is jealousy. There is fighting. And that should never be named once among Christians. That's what we see in the world. It has no place in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul will go on here to warn about people who were causing divisions. In the midst of greeting all these people for their contributions, and sending his love to them, he warns them about people who would try to break up the love of that fellowship there in Rome. Now, Je Jesus says, you are all brethren, brethren. 
That's a collective term that is used for both believing men and believing women in the church. It's just simpler to address it all as well, everybody is brethren, whether you're a male or a female. We are all brethren in the Lord. We're all members of his family. Galatians 3.26 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. All brethren. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now that does not do away with the male-female distinction but it does put every believer, whether they're male or female, on the same spiritual level. All one in Christ, but with different responsibilities. Different responsibilities. Men and women are different, right? We tell that to the world, right? Men and women are different. Men are not suited for every task. Women are not suited for every task. We complement each other according to God's design. One is not greater than the other. One cannot replace the other. And what I like about Romans chapter 16 is he mentions these women. We see that they had a very influential part in the church of Rome. They weren't minor players. And I'll tell you what, history bears record and even contemporary church history, that you take away the women believers from a church and the men won't know what to do. There will be a lot of things that will never get done because the majority, I think, of, of workers, real workers in a church, the majority, thank God for the men who do, but I think the majority of them are women and I think every pastor would tell you that. Thank you, ladies for your contribution to the body of Christ. He says Phoebe was a servant of the church in Sencrie. A servant of the church. Now, Sencrie was a port city of Corinth on the eastern side. It was about seven miles away from the main city of Corinth. It was probably a sister church of the church in Corinth. It could have been started by Paul. We don't know. But we do know this. It was a place of spiritual darkness with temples for Aphrodite, that's the Greek goddess of love, Aesculapius, the god of medicine and healing, symbolized by a staff with a serpent wrapped around it, which became the symbol of the American Medical Association, and Isis, Isis, an Egyptian goddess with alleged magical abilities so great that. Uh, it could bring about the healing of the sick and bring back the dead. Counterfeit resurrection. Counterfeit miracles were no doubt done in the name of ISIS. In that wicked city. It was wicked. It was wicked. But I love this verse, Romans 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, what? Grace doth much more abound. A little light can stand out amazingly in pitch blackness. Grace abounded in Sencrie with the planning of a Christian church on pagan soil. 
And its location meant that this city was of strategic importance. Its harbor allowed the, uh, lots of goods to be transported from and between Asia Minor, Italy, modern-day Greece, Macedonia, and that greatly aided the spread of the gospel. It was a strategic location for the gospel. And here's the interesting thing when you survey scripture and church history. God has key people in strategic places. God always puts key people in strategic places to reach the greater amount of the people. The word servant, interesting, isn't it? The word servant means deacon. It's di diakonos, the word for deacon, sometimes translated minister. Now, the term deacon, as we know it, was, is, denotes an office involving the basic duty of rendering service to others, as I said before. A deacon, then, is one who is placed in an official position for a ministry of service to benefit other people. This is the only occurrence in the New Testament where it refers to a female, diakonos. Phoebe needed, did what needed to be done in serving the church. She was an attendant to Paul's needs. So the question then arises, did she hold an official position in the church, what we might call a deaconess? I will say this to you. By far, the majority of conservative evangelical Christian commentators say yes. They believe that she was a deaconess, that her principal ministry was among the poor. We don't know it. The official office of a deaconess is probably not recognized in church history till about 300 years later, but she may have been serving in some kind of capacity like that. John 2.3, you want to know what a deacon is? John 2.3, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But look what his mother said, Mary. She said to the servants, the deacons, diakonos is the word right there. Whatever he says to you, do it. Bring him water. The word deacon, diakonos, was used of people who did all kinds of tasks in that day. Some of them very menial much less important than some other things that they did. But everything is important, right? Everything. I mentioned the fact that Phoebe was the courier of Paul's letter from Corinth to Rome. So it was no small task that was given to her. I really, this is amazing. Paul chose a woman to take care of the letter and ensure its safe re 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 revival or arrival in Rome, probably the greatest letter ever written, the book of Romans. That's amazing to me. He trusted Phoebe. And he admonished the church in Rome to, to stand by her when she comes and provide for all of her needs. That would include a place for her to stay, food for her, whatever else she needed while she was there. She's a sister in Christ. She is a servant. She is a courier, he told them. And then he, lastly, he says, she's a helper. 
She's a helper. And here's what's interesting with the word helper. It's a very rare Greek word. The Greek word is prostatis, which means a patroness. And he says she's a patroness of many. Now, a patron in that day was as was an inf, was usually very influential, and they were usually quite wealthy. They were the more wealthy members of the community. You had an upper class and a lower class, and pretty much not not much in between. So she would have been among the upper class, and she would have helped people in various capacities. They had no welfare system, but if somebody had an urgent need, they would come to a patron and see if the patron can help them out with their need, even if it was a financial need. And then often the patron would do that, and then they would they would supply some type of a service to the patron if the patron needed some kind of service, something needed to be done. But she helped many people. But Paul says more than that, she helped me. She was a helper to me. What a privilege, right? What a privilege this woman had to help the Apostle Paul, to be a benefactor to the Apostle Paul. She may have supported him financially and spiritually. Jesus had a number of women who followed him, and the Bible says supported him financially. Webster defines the word, and King James has succor of many. And it comes from the Latin, and here's what it means, to run to help. As someone who furnishes relief or goes quickly to the aid of another. I like that. So I put down here, do not be someone who is quick to run away from giving somebody help. Run to help them. Are we that eager to help people as Phoebe was to help the Apostle Paul? I want to close with this. The church today needs many like Phoebe. We need many helpers. We need people who look for people in need and help them when they can. People who look around and see what needs to be accomplished and then work to accomplish it. People who never stop helping. You never retire as a Christian. Help as many people as you can, as long as you can, to the glory of God. There was a prominent Christian leader who was known for his willingness to help needy individuals with their social, emotional, whatever else, financial problems. And when asked why he took the time out of his busy schedule to do this, he replied, when I was a boy, I worked, I worked in the family grocery store. And I was taught that I should never ask a customer, is that all? Instead, I was told to say, isn't there anything else? What else can I do for you? So don't say, is that all? Is that it? You know, is there anything else that I can do for you? Just imagine a church with people like Phoebe, not one, but many. People with the attitude of many of those listed there in Romans chapter 16. People who are busy serving, always busy serving, and then ask, 
when their particular task is completed, what else can I do? Don't you love children like that, right? Would you take out the garbage, gets the garbage taken out? Mom, what else can I do? Uh, Cut the weeds. Comes in cutting the weeds. Dad, what else can I do? Now, you all have them in your home, right? A husband does the dishes, finishes the dishes. What else can I do? Vacuum. You could vacuum the room, clean it. And you finish that, right? What else can I do? I'm getting myself in trouble. Somebody told me, I mentioned that you could start by clean taking the weeds out of your backyard. And they said, thanks. You know, I had to do that. (laughs) There's lots that needs to be done, right? There's no shortage of work that needs to be done in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't just sit in a pew. Be a worker. Be a helper. Be a servant for Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this little brief look into the life of Phoebe. We probably never thought of her like this before. But Lord, the Apostle Paul did. He thought of her. And he took two verses of of Holy Scripture to show his love and appreciation for her. And I pray, God, that we would show our love and appreciation for people as well, all around us, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, for the servants of the church, the helpers of the church. Thank you, God, for everyone, for the unsung heroes in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ who don't get opportunities to preach or do other things, but without them, the work would not be possible. Thank you for everyone who gives they enter into the rewards of those who, whom they support. Thank you for everyone who prays and enters into the rewards of those for whom they're praying, missionaries, evangelists, pastors, whatever, whoever else. I thank you for everyone here today, Lord. I ask you to bless them in a special way as they go this week. In Jesus' name, amen.